Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit us online at redemption.ca. Good morning. We're going to get back into Genesis this morning. And um, uh, this last section here, uh, we're entering the last section of Genesis. Uh, We're going to be focusing on uh, Joseph. And, um, you know, his, his story is one of those that, like, everyone... Like even Hollywood, you know, books, they, they all love his story, right? Uh, there's the, the play that was done, you know, the Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. I've never seen it, so I don't know how much it actually follows the Bible story. But, I mean, there's something about Joseph's story that everybody likes. It's, there's that story, a little bit of the underdog, right? And, and you know, the rags to riches kind of thing. Um, but... Uh, for us, I think it is one of those things where, as we're going to look at the life of Joseph, it really ought to cause us to think about our own lives and how we live out our lives. Uh, this morning, we're going to see, you know, he's, he's promised, like, hey, there's going to be some great things that are going to happen in your life, Joseph, and then the next thing we know, he's going to be, you know, almost killed. You know, that, that not what he would expect and, and when we think about that, I, I wonder how much we trust the Lord uh, with our daily lives. As we think about our, our goings and our, and, and, and our comings each day, how much are we saying, Lord, your will be done each and every day? There's a, we, we're going to look at some dreams today as we're going to look at the text. And you know, one of the things you hear in our society oftentimes is this Live according to your dreams, you know, pursue your dreams. Like you can do it, right? Like that, that kind of, you know, thing. And, 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 and what we're going to find in the text today is like, well, that's really not for the Christian, right? Like your dreams need to be submitted to God's dreams, to what God's plan is for your life. And, and that is the best possible place you could be. And uh, even Joseph's brothers, brothers are going to learn a little bit about that this morning. And so we're going we're gonna to see some human responsibility side, and we're going to see God's sovereignty over all of these things, the, the, the things that God has for us in our life. And, and we are all accountable for the things we do, and at the same time, God has a plan. And that's what we're going to be seeing this morning. And so again, as, I, as we think about the text, I want you to just be thinking, do I know that God is sovereign, number one? And then number two, do I trust him? And we don't always do those two together, right? I know he's sovereign, but I don't like it. Or I know he's sovereign, and I'm trusting him. And as we're going to go through the next 13 chapters, other than a little uh, crazy chapter next week with Judah, which I'm not really sure we're going to say about that yet, but, but uh, it's going to be about Joseph and how he trusted the Lord even in times of difficulty. So we're going to look into that as we look at Genesis 37 this morning. But before we do, let me just pray for us one more time, and we're going to get into it. God, we love you. We thank you for the fact that you are sovereign. 
Lord, that you are good. And we thank you for men like Joseph whom we can learn from. That though life was hard, really hard for him at times, Lord, he trusted you. And God, I pray that he would point us to Christ who is the author and perfecter of our faith who also suffered much in this life yet trusted the will of the Father continuing. May that be our story. Lord, even God, as we leave this place today, I pray that we would have increased faith, increased trust in you. Lord, for your glory and for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so everyone needs a Bible. If you want to have a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hand. Uh, The ushers will give you a copy of God's Word. We're going to be reading through Genesis 37 today, Genesis 37. And um, you want to make sure that the pastor is actually preaching God's Word. So if you don't have a Bible, put up your hand. If you don't own a Bible, keep the one they're giving you as a gift to you. But we wanna, as we look at Genesis 37, I, wanna, I want us to look at three facts about God's sovereignty. Three facts about God's sovereignty. First, God is sovereign. Life is not about your dreams. Okay? God is sovereign, and then life is not about your dreams. The emphasis on this is your dreams. We're going to see Joseph is going to have some dreams here, but they're not from himself. They're from the Lord. And, and, and so the question is this morning, are, are my dreams his dreams? Or do I have this idea that I should pursue my own dreams? Is there any kind of talk about that in society? Any kind of encouragement about like, follow your dreams? You can do it. Don't let anybody keep you down. You're, you, know, you, you have more value. You have the worth. You can do it. Like you can't hear, anybody ever hear that? Okay. Now, that can infiltrate our minds and hearts too, right? And what the problem with that is, is that it becomes about the me show rather than the glory of the Lord show, right? And so we want to be on guard against that. And, 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 um, and what we're going to see here, uh, that the brothers are not too happy about God's plans. They're not too happy about the fact that, that, that Joseph is going to be someone that they're going to bow down to. This is what we see in the first, the first 11 verses. And they are rebellious against it. They want nothing to do with God's plan. So let's pick it up in verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. Now, it's been a while since we've been in Genesis. So just to review, Genesis 36 is about the life of Esau. When we looked at the, the life of Esau, we saw that he had a kingdom of his own. He had kings in this land. He, his life was very different than Jacob's. Jacob was told to wait upon the promises of God. And he would sojourn for his whole days in the land of Canaan. And we pick it up. We see that these are the generations of Jacob. Now, just as the generations of Isaac wind up being a whole lot about Jacob, the generations of Jacob are going to be a whole lot about Joseph. As I mentioned, next week we'll see Judah, but then the rest is about Joseph. And we read here that Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Joseph, all we've really known about him is that he was born to Rachel, 
the, the wife that was loved by Jacob. If you're new here today, just a quick kind of review of this family. Jacob really loved Rachel. Laban's like, great, work for seven years and I'll give her to you as a wife. He works the seven years. It goes by really quickly. Why? Because he loves her so much. And then on the night that he's to marry her, Laban does the little switcheroo, and he winds up being married to Leah, not Rachel. Okay? So works another seven years for Rachel. They get married within a short time. There's the Leah wedding. The Rachel wedding is pretty quick. He works all this time for him. And then just to add to the fun, each of them give a servant to him as a wife as well, okay? So we have four wives, three not loved so much, one really loved. And that dysfunction carries right down into the kiddos, as we're going to see. So when Joseph is out with the boys, the four boys of the servants, who are where on the totem pole in the family? They're down here. Okay, so Joseph's out with them, and he comes back, and he has a bad report. Now, we're not told what the bad report was, okay? Uh, they're lazy. They went off into town instead of looking after the I don't know. We don't know what the bad report was, but based on the wording, it seems like it was a true report, but with some exaggeration, right? With some exaggeration. Anybody here have siblings? Okay. You, what, what, what would we call the brother or sister who told on us? We would call them a tattletale, right? You're a tattletale. Well, the, that phrase is like you're exaggerating what really happened. There was truth involved, but there's a little bit of twisting with it. And, and in your family, that, that caused some tension, I'm sure, between you. But, but this is like pouring gasoline on a fire, because they already know they're at the bottom of the, of the totem pole. What they don't need is dad to think even worse of them from getting this report from, guess who? The favorite son. Verse 3. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age. Okay. If it would have just ended there, it's like, okay, well, that's not great. But... He, he doesn't end it there. It's not just something within his heart. It's like, you know, I like him. You know, he's, I was 90 when I had him, and I just, he thinks like I think. Or, you know, I don't know why he, right? But we're told it's the son of his old age. That's why, well, ultimately it's what? It's the son of Rachel. So he already has special feelings for Rachel. So now he has special feelings for Joseph. And if that remains quiet, it still has got some dysfunction involved, but it doesn't remain quiet. He makes them this robe, okay? And we're told that it's a robe of many colors. Now, there's a little bit of debate on this as to whether it actually was a robe of many colors. Um, there's Greek word, sorry, Hebrew word that's used. could also be a robe with long sleeves, Okay? This robe's special. This is what we need to know. It, it was costly. It, was, it screamed, here is the favorite son. Here is the son that I'm, you know, and they're thinking he's the one that's going to get all the stuff when dad dies kind of guy, right? So, so 
They are so happy for Joseph, the rest of the brothers. We're like, Dad loves you so much. He's giving you this amazing robe. We're so happy. Is that what we read? But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Right? So they hate him because he's a tattletale. Now they hate him because dad loves him more than the rest of them, and everyone can see it. As we're going to continue to read the chapter, it seems like he never takes this robe off. Right? Maybe you have a favorite shirt. Okay? This guy, he loved his robe, and he was not taking it off. And, 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 and they hate him for it. When it says they, they cannot speak peacefully to him, Sarna says this, could also be translated, they could not abide his friendly speech. And in other words, anytime he'd be like, hey guys, how, how's it going? They're just like, get lost. I don't want to talk to you. Like they didn't want him to be around at all. So they like, no matter what Joseph tried to do in order to, to be friendly to them, they're just like, we despise you. We hate you. Get lost, right? Now, you maybe had some of that in your family, but I, this, is, this is a whole new level, okay? Their hate, as we're going to see. So, so there's the tattletaling. There, there's the, the favoritism, but that's not it. That's not going to be the only reason they hate him. Now, something God's doing causes them to hate him. Verse 5, now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers. And when, they, and when, sorry, when he told it to his brothers, guess what? They hated him even more. Now, dreams. Dreams in the Old Testament, we see, we've seen this pattern now a few times in Genesis. In Genesis 15, God, through a dream, tells Abraham that his offspring are going to be enslaved for over 400 years. Through a dream, we see in Genesis 28, God told J- Jacob that he would be protected. And then in Genesis 20, in, in chapter 31, we also see God warning pagan kings not to do anything against the chosen people. And so it is now with this dream, God is communicating again. And we're going to see that he doesn't give him the dream just once, he gives the dream to him twice. So what's this dream that God has given him? He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Do you think they needed an interpreter? I, I don't know. What's this mean? They all know what this means. We're going to see that in a moment. I think it's interesting that he uses a sheaf, chief, the agricultural thing. We know that ultimately it's because God reveals to Pharaoh that there's going to be a famine, and uh, Joseph will interpret those dreams for Pharaoh, and he will know exactly what to do. We're going to collect a whole bunch from everybody for seven years because seven years after that, there's going to be complete famine. And so it's through the agriculture that he will become this king whom they will bow down to. But nobody's getting that part of it. What they are getting is that you're telling us that we're going to bow down to you. His 
brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Are you kidding me, Joseph? You really think that we would ever bow down to you? Now, you, you might be able to relate, right? You got some kid brother say something like that to you, you'd be, really? Really? Like, I know you. I'm never bowing down to you. I grew up with you. A prophet is not without honor in his, in his hometown, right? That whole idea, right? Like, they, they're like, there's no way this is ever happening. Now, the problem with this is this. They're not arguing against Joseph anymore. They're arguing against God. God is the one who's making up the dream. He's not, Joseph isn't coming up with these things and saying, guess what, this is, I'm going to make this happen. Joseph is only telling them what he's seen in his dream. It's from the Lord. And so he's proclaiming what God is going to do. And they want nothing to do with this plan. They hate this plan. So God gives them the dream again. Why the dream again? Later, when Joseph is interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, we're going to see in Genesis 41, 32, when, when Joseph is speaking to Pharaoh, he says, and the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. When, when God brought the dream a second time, it was to affirm, listen, it was not just a one-off. You weren't crazy and thinking that this was from me. No, this is really from me. And so he's affirming this. And so he's going to tell his brothers again, why is he doing this? Like, is he, does he like everybody to hate him? Why is he doing it? Hamilton says this, God has a plan for his life, a destiny in his future, and Joseph spontaneously shares the enthusiasm that the revelation spawns. I mean, when God tells you something, you want to tell everybody else about this thing. And so... Verse 9, then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Uh, not just to the brothers now, bowing down. Dad is going to bow down. Mom is going to bow down. Little, like, who's mom here? Because we know there's 11 brothers, which means Benjamin is alive, which means that Rachel is dead. So likely being referred to now as Leah, the stepmom, would be the mom that will be bowing down. So it's, 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 not, it's, not, it's not de-escalated in any way. It's, like, it's escalating. Now, now mom and dad are also going to bow down. What do mom and dad think about this? What does dad think about this? Well, we find out in verse 10. But when he told it to his father and, and to his brothers, his father rebuked him. He rebuked him and he said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? Are you kidding me? <laughs> right? Like, listen, you're my favorite son, but this ain't happening. Right? He rebukes him. Jacob also is going against what God is saying here. Do you really think this is going to happen? Nobody can think of a scenario where this would ever happen, right? God knows, and God will make it happen. And his brothers were jealous of him. His brothers being jealous of him here, it's, it's taking all this mounting hate and now taking it to another level. 
This word for jealousy, it's the same kind of word for jealousy of, of a spouse when someone has like, committed adultery and now they, they're jealous of what has happened and they want vengeance. This is, a, this, is, this is hatred now with action. They want to do something. It's foreshadowing what's about to come. But it says Jacob kept the saying in mind. Okay, he rebukes him right away, but he's like, oh, I am going to kind of keep this in the back of my mind because God did do some pretty crazy stuff for me over my lifetime. So I am going to just kind of keep it stored away. Now, not stored away for very long because before the end of the chapter, he's going to think Joseph is dead. All right, just in case you've never heard this chapter. Okay, but that's what he's, that's what he's thinking. Now, I want us just to think about this for a moment before we move on. I said at the beginning, life is not about your dreams. It's not about your dreams. Why are these guys so upset? Well, we've been told, really, ultimately, through the word, they're jealous. They're envious. I mean... If Reuben had the dream, he'd be like, of course you're all going to bow down to me, right? Judah had the dream, he'd be like, oh, this is amazing. You're all going to bow down to me. They want what he has. They want the love of dad in the same way that he has it. They're all envying his story. Is it easy for you to go through your life without envy? Do you ever find yourself saying, oh man, look what they got. I mean, look at their marriage. Why can't we have a marriage like their marriage? Why can't we have kids like their kids? I mean, both of those are kind of ridiculous because you don't know anything about their marriage or their kids. Like, are you there 24-7? I don't think so. But we envy, we see this outward stuff, and we're like, oh, look at, look at that. Oh, I wish I had that. What are you saying when you say that? God, you're doing a terrible job. Why is my life not their life? Why don't I not have the stuff that they have? And you go through the Bible, and you just see how destructive envy is. The Proverbs says it's a rot to the bones when we envy someone else's life. Instead, as the people of God, when you say, thank you, Lord, you've, you've knit me together in my mother's womb. I am uniquely made. Lord, you knew my days before there was one of them. And, and, and Lord, you have a plan for me. You've laid out my days. And they're not somebody else's days. They're my days. They're the things that, Lord, you intend for me. And so what we ought to do when we see someone else's marriage going well, praise the Lord. Like, that's God's grace. God's grace in their life. That's God's blessing in their life. God, like, thank you for that in their lives. When, when, when someone's children are following the Lord, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are giving that good gift to them. And then when it comes to our own lives, we say, Lord, my life is yours. I submit my days to you. You know what's best. Life is not about my dreams. 
It's about what you have for me, and it's so much better. And so, God, I submit to you, and I'm thankful. And so instead of envy and jealousy, let there be praise and thankfulness in our lives, because life is not about your dreams. Secondly, thinking about God's sovereignty, life does not always go according to your dreams. Life does not always go according to your dreams. I mean, Joseph, he's a bold guy. We have to give him that. And we're going to see that strength in him later, which is a great thing, right? But sometimes your greatest strength can also be your greatest weakness, okay? So he's got, he's got this whole family dynamic where nobody likes him at this point. But he's been given this dream twice. Everybody's going to bow down to me. He must think the next step is what? Up. It's going to be up. Like I'm, I'm about, I, I mean, it would seem from what's being said here, some kind of royalty, some kind of, like something like that that would, that, that would have my whole family bowing down to me. That must be the next thing. Is that the next thing? It's not the next thing. Not even close to the next thing. And I, would, I just would, you just pause right there and think about that in your own life. Like when, talk, when God talks about blessings in our life and the good things that he will give us, we, we just think it's going to be always good. No problems. I mean, even though the scriptures tell us over and over again, in this world, guess what? You will have trouble. You will have trials. No one who loves Jesus will not be persecuted. I mean, you know, there's all these kind of verses that we forget. <laughs> but, but they're there. But heaven's coming, and we're going to get to that. But, but for Joseph, it's not, the next step's not up. Verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to, and Joseph said to him, here I am. Let's go, Dad. Whatever you want me to do. He's a faithful son. As we, as we go through this, there's, there's so many parallels to Jesus in Joseph. The father sends. He says, here I am. Now, either the, I think the, like the, the brothers must have been pretty good at keeping all this kind of on the down low from dad, it would seem. Because you wouldn't think he would send his favorite son to a bunch of guys who really, really, really hated his son. His son. But he sends him, and he, he's, he's concerned about the boys. Why? Because they're by Shechem. And if you flip back a few pages, you'll read about Shechem and Simeon and Levi wiping out the entire town of men because of what they had done to Dinah, what the one man had done to Dinah. And so, so they don't have a great reputation around Shechem. So he's a little concerned. He's like, would you go check on just see how they're doing with the flock? Check on the flock, check on the guys. And so that's the plan. 50 miles away from the Valley of Hebron, where they are. And they're gonna, he's going to go, you know, the, it's about a five-day journey. So it's in verse 14. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. But when he gets to Shechem, where are they? And a man 
found him wandering in the fields. He was like, you could tell, right? You can just tell when someone's lost, right? I remember Heather and I, I had this great plan of not paying for a phone bill, and, and we we're in Paris, and I was like, okay, I looked at the map, okay, that's what we got to do, so now I'm kind of like going by the map, and, and we're wandering around town, and finally someone comes like, hey, are you guys lost? And I'm like, yes, we're definitely lost, and he helped us out, right? I think that's the picture of what's going on here, right? He's lost. He has no idea, and this guy comes along, and the man asked him, what are you seeking? He says, I'm seeking my brother's. He said, tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. Now, Dothan's another 13 miles away north. If I can convert that for our Canadian audience, now we're up to 100K from where dad lives. Okay? So he gets up to Dothan, and his brothers are so excited to see him. Is that what's going on? No. Verse 18. So Joseph, sorry, verse 17. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. And they saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. I mean, this is not manslaughter. This is first-degree murder that they're plotting. They hate him so much, and they're tired of it, and they think that the best thing to do is to kill him, to throw him in a pit, and then... As an alibi, they'll say that an animal must have tore him up. I think they have the perfect alibi. And it was a pretty good one, as we're going to see. I mean, how bad do you have to hate someone to do this? But that's where this relationship was. They hated him because of his being a tattletale. They hated him because of his dad's favoritism towards him, and they hated him. Why? Because of these dreams. The, the phrasing here is the master of dreams. Here comes the master of dreams, the guy who thinks that we're going to bow down to him. This is the final straw to them. So they're going to throw him into this pit, cistern, some of your translations say, and, 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 and that'll be his grave. That's the idea. We're going to throw you in the grave. And we'll be done with you. Well, everybody hates him. That's, they're on the even basis when it comes to the brothers. But not everybody hates him to the point that they think he should be killed. Reuben steps in, verse 21. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. Why is he saying this? That he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. As the oldest son, he knows that the responsibility of Joseph's death will be on him. And he's already at odds with his dad because of what he's done previously. So so he's he's saying, I've got to try to save him. And we're not told, when we read the scriptures, we know we're not getting the whole picture. We're just getting what God wants us to hear. But, but maybe the conversation went something like this. Hey, hey, 
stabbing him, that's too good for him. Let's throw him in a pit, and then he'll just starve to death. Okay, yeah, that's a good idea, right? So that's what they're going to do. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and they threw him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Moses wants us to know he wasn't treading water. He's, just, he's at the bottom of this pit now. Just how heartless are these guys? Then they sat down to eat. Now, as we're going to continue to read Genesis, we know exactly what's going on. Joseph is crying out to them from the pit. And they don't care. They don't, they don't care one bit. This, 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 this moment that is happening right here is going to torment them for the next 20 years. Like, how close is it on their minds? They get into a squabble. This is the first thing that comes up 20 years later. Guys, guys, like, I'm sorry. What did I do? Like, please let me out, right? Have mercy on me. And they're going to hear nothing about it. So they're having a little grub. And they look up again, and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Guys, 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 guys. Like really? I know we hate him. You know, Simeon and Levi, I know you guys like to shed blood. You know, you're, you're kind of bloodthirsty that way. But like, listen, what's it going to profit us? Like, why not make a, f- like a few bucks off the whole thing? We'll sell them to these guys. We'll never see them again. He buys, besides, he is our own flesh and blood. I mean, what a, what a heartwarming moment, right? We're only going to sell them into slavery, right? But that's where these guys are at. Not killed. Why? Because God's not going to allow them to kill him. His plan will be done. And so instead, they're going to sell him. And so we read verse 28. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. If you read about the rejection of Christ and the betrayal of Judas, you, you, those phrase just kind of pops to your head, doesn't it? Only 30 shekels of silver in the case of Christ. They took Joseph to Egypt. So they hand him over to a non-covenant people to be a slave. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Apparently, after he kind of had them throw him into the pit, he went off to do whatever. I don't know, maybe to check on the flocks and make sure everything was okay while everybody else was having some lunch. But by the time he gets back, he's gone. And he's like, where'd he go? And again, why is he feeling this pressure? Because he's the oldest son. It's going to be on him. And so he's distraught. And then we told, we're told that they then took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. 
And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. We're, we're not sure. Is this, is this, <laughs> I mean, if we get any kind of indication of this robe, there was like, there was no other robe like this, right? It wasn't like, well, I don't know, I had a hand-stitched Joseph at the bottom, let me check, right? I mean, he knows, they all know. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. I mean, they had to be thinking, amazing. We didn't even have to lie about it. He jumped to that conclusion on his own, that he was torn to pieces by fierce animals. Their original alibi is like, it's working. It's working. He, he doesn't suspect them at all about what they have done. But what? He thinks that his son is dead. And Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins, and he mourned his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. They, 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 they're starting to experience the fruit of their deceit. They now have a dad that refuses to be comforted. No matter what they say, no matter what they do, he's like, you're never going to get me to feel better about what's happened. He believes his son is dead, and now the next step for him will be to die someday and be with him. But Moses reminds us that's not the truth. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him, that's Joseph, in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. And we're going to pick that up in a couple weeks in chapter 39, what happens once he is there. But we see God, his sovereignty, even over these wicked brothers. Their, their intention was to kill him, but he doesn't allow that. Instead, he goes to Egypt, which is exactly the place where he will become second in power only to Pharaoh. God's plan is not Joseph's plan, but it's so much better. See, for Joseph to become a great leader, he first had to become a slave, a servant. In order for redemption to come and for people to be saved, he had to suffer. Which brings us to our last point. Life cannot be found apart from the Lord of the dreams. Life cannot be found apart from the Lord of the dreams. They, they called him in verse 19, this master of the dreams. It's not, it wasn't about him. It was about the one who give the vision, give the dream. He is the one who is over it all. He has a plan. And, and there is no life apart from God. There is no life apart from Christ. So many parallels, as I've already mentioned, uh, between Joseph and Jesus. Joseph told by the Father to, to go to a people that would reject him. We read in John 1.11 that Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. 
The exact same thing. These brothers, they, 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 they hate Joseph. But before it's all said and done, they're going to learn some important lessons. Ross says this, their brothers tried to improve their standing in the family by wicked means, by getting rid of this favored son. They all would have to learn that God does not give his promised blessing to people who act in such ways. If they would not learn this, if they would not change, then there would be no nation through them. I think that's why there's 20 years of torment for these guys. God's not done with them yet. If God was done with them, they would have been hardened in their hearts and they would have continued on, but they know what they did was wrong. But they know no way to make it right. Not until Joseph, they see Joseph again 20 years later. And so it is for the world. When, they, when Jesus came to this world, what? They did not receive him. They wanted to cast him, what? Into a pit, into a grave. And they all conspired together, right? Jews and Gentiles together were responsible for the killing of Jesus. And if you would be made right, if they would be made right with God, then they must change their mind. They must repent of their ways. They must stop the rebellion against God. We must stop. You and I must stop our rebellion against God. We must recognize that he is the son of God. And that though they thought they were in charge when they killed Jesus, all they did was fulfill God's plan, which was to what? To send his son to die on a cross for you and I. taking my sin and your sin upon himself and then suffering the wrath of God that was due to you and I. This is what Christ did in our behalf. This was God's plan for our redemption. Not one of us here deserve it. God says if you would recognize your sin against him and repent of your sin and place your hope and trust in him, then you would be forgiven that that sacrifice that he made would be on your behalf and then you could be reconciled to God. Joseph, his story is a different one. As we are going to read about his life, we're going to see he trusts the Lord. There's so many reasons that he could have given. It's like, I'm turning my back on God. Look at, he told me I was going to be a king, and now look at, I'm a slave. When Potiphar's wife approaches him, he, he could just say, well, I deserve it. I deserve a little, little satisfaction in this life, a little joy in this life. I deserve it. And when instead, what? He goes to prison next. Do you think he had a, a tough time wrestling through God's sovereignty and facing what he faced? I'm sure it was hard, but guess what? He was faithful. And I want to encourage you here today. I don't know what you're going through, but I, I want you to know that God is faithful. And whatever difficulties you're finding yourself in today, he has a plan for these things. The Bible tells us that, that for those who love God, Everything works together for our good and for God's glory. He's taking the suffering. 
He's taking the trials, the tribulations that you're going through, and he's using it to make you more like Jesus. We read in Hebrews 5.8 that the son, Jesus, although he was his son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. This is God's pattern for you and I, that there will be suffering in this world, but through the suffering, he's asking you to trust him and to, to look to him in these things. Ross says this, though the wicked may prosper for a time, the righteous are told that to, their, to hold fast to their integrity because there is a higher, more enduring principle of life that comes with obedience to God. Since the Lord is sovereign over all life, one cannot hope to fulfill his God-given destiny by disobeying him. At times, God's ways seem unfair, but if endured to the end, they will bring greater blessing to the righteous. Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now is seated at the right hand of God. Joseph is going to go through slavery, imprisonment, and then God will place him as king over the people. For you and I, I don't know your story. But joy will come in the morning. Romans 8.18 says this. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Life can be hard sometimes. Our family um, has had a hard last couple of weeks. On Christmas Day, uh, Heather's brother died suddenly. And it's just been a lot of wrestling the last couple weeks. Lord, how can this be good? Lord, he is with you, right? Like we know that salvation is not based on, did I do enough good in this world? It's based on the gospel. And he believed that, and we trust that. And so I, I, I just, I'm burdened for you this morning because I don't know what you're going through, but I know sometimes life can be really hard and it can be difficult to persevere. Can I just encourage you to persevere? God is good. He loves you. He cares for you. And his sovereignty over your life is not a weapon. It is for your good and for his glory. And so, remember, life is not about your dreams. Life does not always go according to your dreams. And life cannot be found apart from the Lord of the dreams. Let me pray. Lord, we love you. We affirm that this morning, Lord, that you are good, that you are faithful, Lord, your mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. God, I thank you that you are a God who knows everything about us. And Lord, for those who are wrestling today and are, are burdened, God, would you just help them to entrust their lives to you once again? 
Lord, would you help them to submit to you? God, would you help them to trust you, knowing that you are good? And Lord, if there be anyone here this morning who's still yet, not yet reconciled to you, God, I pray that they would know that even today they could be reconciled to you. If they would repent of their sin and place their hope and trust in you. God, we know that life is short, it's fragile. And so God, we pray for urgency in that decision. We pray that they would make that decision soon. Lord, that they would not not need to fear death, but Lord, know that life is found through you, the giver of dreams. Lord, would you just continue to lead us now? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit us online at redemption.ca.